Without sound money or a healthy financial system or currency, your life is doomed basically. And I'm afraid that's kind of the direction Japan is heading into now. And a lot of people don't want to question that because it's scary. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, a podcast from CoinPost that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. I'm so excited to bring you this episode because I sat down in person with Koji Higashi, one of the most active Japanese Bitcoiners, to talk about what's holding Bitcoin back in Japan and how he's building a community here. He founded Diamond Hands, Japan's biggest Bitcoin and Lightning Network community, but he's also been around for a long time, so we got some nice perspective on Japan's unique crypto history. Now, some parts do get a bit technical, and I considered running through some terminology in this intro, but I think it's better to just go for it. We talk about a number of things, and most of them aren't too technical, so don't worry if you don't understand a specific part. I will explain just one word, though, a word that's really important in Bitcoin, and that word is custody. Custody in Bitcoin means ownership, or more specifically, control. The whole idea of Bitcoin, what sets it apart from other assets, is that you can custody it yourself. Generally, banks or other institutions custody assets for people, whether those are stocks, bonds, cash, etc. You could custody something like gold yourself, keep it in your safe, but usually people have custodians protect their gold as well because it's hard to secure it at home. But with Bitcoin, you can custody it yourself, hold it in your own digital wallet where only you have access to it. That's why incidents like the FTX blowup are so infuriating, because the idea is that you hold your own Bitcoin. You don't leave it on an exchange where they control it and can decide whether you have access to it or not. Self-custody is the goal. So the goal for Bitcoin tools is to be self-custodial or non-custodial, meaning that even as you use the tools, like a wallet, only you control your Bitcoin, not the wallet developer. Often there's a trade-off between convenience or simplicity and self-custody. So there's room for a range of custody arrangements when people are first getting into Bitcoin, but the goal is self-custody rather than using trusted third parties who could steal your money. So that's what Koji and I are talking about when we talk about self-custodial wallets and Lightning Network tools and how they're slow to develop because it's hard to build solutions that don't rely on trusting the developer or service provider, but it's worth it in the long run. Okay, that's enough from me. Again, the bulk of the conversation is about Japan, but I just wanted to make that one point clear because it's something that's going to come up again and again in future conversations. Let me know how you find this conversation, whether it's too technical or too basic, and I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Koji Higashi, founder of Diamond Hands, um, but also a bunch of other stuff too. Bitcoiner Hansekai, which is a YouTube channel, um, Bitcoin Lab. I didn't realize that mm-hmm. you founded Bitcoin Lab as well, which puts out research on uh, Bitcoin in Japanese. Um, but Diamond Hands, I, I should say, the biggest uh, Bitcoin and Lightning community in Japan. Uh, so welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be talking about Bitcoin and maybe some Japanese Japanese market, culture, what's happening here. Yeah. And even beyond, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to have you because uh, I know, uh, like I mentioned, you started so many um, Bitcoin-related projects in Japan. True, yeah. Um, and which I think is, is kind of rare because... Uh, as we've talked about, there's not that many Bitcoiners in Japan. Um, And even if people know about Bitcoin, they tend to think of it as 
like just something to trade, another yeah. um, type of FX, right. uh, just something to speculate on. So I'm really curious to hear your story, like how you got into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, I have been involved in a lot of Bitcoin related projects. Uh, some of them, you know, known outside Japan as well, but uh, a lot of others are only known in the Japanese community. So, and nowadays, nobody, very few people ask me about what, what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. For example, I can maybe talk about that later, but I was doing, uh, have you heard of Rare Pepe? No? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm it was kind of like an NFT, NFT precursor to NFT kind right. of thing, uh, built on the counterparty protocol on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? It was during 2014 and 2014 through 2018, 17-ish. So I was doing uh, collectibles on the blockchain. I was, huh. I was one of the people, I would say, obviously I'm not the only person who was doing that, but I was one of the people who are spearheading and kind of exploring that use case, you know, mm -hmm. uh, issuing uh, supply limited tokens for collectibles mm -hmm. and trade them or, you know, just have fun with them, like put, put images on it, basically, and link tokens with certain images and uh, have limited uh, supply, like 200, 100-ish. So, and that became very popular and known as NFTs later. But yeah. in 2017, we didn't have the word NFTs. And yeah. I kind of left around uh, around that because I was doing stuff. Maybe I can talk about that later. But uh, basically, I, I thought, well, you know, focusing on the Bitcoin itself and uh, Lightning Network or second layer tech, layer two tech is more important. Mm -hmm. And And then after I left, it kind of after two years or three years later, it kind of caught on, even to my surprise. And even Rare Pepe also had a really high price. Some of them had really high prices. So maybe I can talk about that as well. But I, I have done a lot of different things, uh, mostly on Bitcoin. Was that what interested you in um, all of crypto? Or like when you first came to the scene, was it like the NFT aspect, even before they were called NFTs? Was that what drew you in or was there something else? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> so I, I was attracted to Bitcoin, Bitcoin mm -hmm. as, as is, right? Bitcoin as money, Bitcoin as decentralized digital currency that's, that doesn't belong to any corporations or government. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is very cool. And this is something new. I, I got super excited, right? But one of the criticism against Bitcoin at the time, even to this day, is that there's no use case for Bitcoin outside just sending and receiving Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And to us, we understand the importance of asset itself, right? And being able to uh, move freely and globally, uh, that, that's also a very important feature of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, limited supply, etc. You know, listeners also know that already. But at the time, people say like, oh, Bitcoin is boring because it's just this weird payment technology. And at the time, we call uh, other use cases, non-currency use cases as Bitcoin 2.0, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of laughable now. Oh, Bitcoin 2.0. Everybody thinks like uh, NFT or Web3, but we were calling it Bitcoin 2.0. Right. Right. Because at the time, there was no Ethereum, basically just Bitcoin. And some people, including myself, were exploring different use cases. Right. So, but I, I was initially interested in Bitcoin itself. Then some people say like, hey, Bitcoin is boring and 
you cannot do anything else, etc. So I was I started playing with Counterparty and issuing my own token, just as an experiment for fun, right? I created a token called CMP Coin. Well, my Twitter account is Coin and Peace. Right? Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> funny, but uh, so I issued a CMP Coin for my blog, my Bitcoin blog. Ah. And then I started distributing that coin to my readers because at the time there's uh, not many readers, right? We, I had like maybe five or 10 readers, right? So like, okay, if you retweet my article on Twitter, I'll just count it manually and then send some counterparty tokens and we'll, we'll see what happens, right? So that's kind of how I started doing tokens. Uh-huh. But it was my main motivation was I wanted to just explore different use cases on Bitcoin, not just currency use case. And... Um, yeah, and the other thing is because I wanted more people to uh, understand the potential of Bitcoin, so that that was my main motivation. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought, at, you know, in twenty fourteen when I started experimenting with it, uh, very few people pay attention to it. I mean, some people even say like, "Hey, I, I don't see any point uh, issuing tokens, right?" Uh, or bloggers or individuals issuing tokens, there's no use case, or why would you do that and stuff like that. But I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. You can just kind of print money first, <laughs> a little bit, right, on the Bitcoin blockchain and just uh, send and receive them just like Bitcoin. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's how I started on tokens. Yeah. You You mentioned that your what first drew you to bitcoin was the idea of uh, a money that's not controlled by government or or corporations um in my experience i mean definitely my story but also i think most people's story is that they come because they hear they can make money they can get right. rich quick right. um so that's that's really interesting to me that you came uh more from the philosophical angle um, is that something you were interested in even before crypto? Like, did you study um, politics or, mm-hmm. or philosophy or were you into those kind of things before uh, Bitcoin? Um, a little bit. Uh, when I was in college, I was inexperienced and I didn't really know what I was doing as well. But I always felt something is kind of off, like the whole system and etc. Right. So I, I didn't. So before getting into Bitcoin full time in 2014, I had a basically a day job, right, in Japan. And it's like doing okay. I don't really care about the job, but I was not very passionate about it, mm-hmm. right? But after uh, learning about Bitcoin, I thought um, it's philosophical to some degree, but it's more kind of economical. I, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this makes sense. This is, I, I studied economics in college. So okay. I was like, I understood kind of, oh, this is a very interesting incentive structure and oh this makes sense it made more sense than the current finance which Mm. i didn't really get right it's very complex and i don't know why i don't know how some things are built or structured it's too complex i did it for example credit card etc why does this have to be this complex and stuff like that right multiple layers multiple middlemen exactly and then after learning about bitcoin it just really made sense just clicked for me, I was like, oh, this this is simple, hmm. makes sense, right? And it's cut. So, in twenty fourteen, uh, my if my memory serves me right, uh, one of the main messages there is cutting out middlemen is a good thing and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You can you can send money P two P, 
right? So I was like, yeah, of course, of course, you should be able to cut middlemen, like useless middlemen, uh, just like the internet did to information, right? Sure. So uh, it just made sense. It's just better technology, better system, and that's and from the incentive perspective and economics perspective, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, and I also had this type of like you know, not not anti-government. I would say that that's a little bit too strong, but didn't really have any trust in authority or the government or corporations. So I was like, oh wow, this is also very interesting from the philosophical perspective as well. So, mm-hmm. but I was a very rare. One of, one of the rare people in Japan at the time. Yeah, that seems pretty unusual. My, uh, from what I've seen, um, Japanese tend to be more trusting of, exactly. of government, or at least without the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you you were attracted to Bitcoin for the um, economic aspects. Right. Uh, you played around with um, tokens. Right. Um, and even uh, like a precursor to NFTs on top right. of Bitcoin. Um, but rather than move to, say, other crypto projects, other NFT projects, as those mm. kind of rose, you stayed with Bitcoin. Right. Um, is that around the time that you started uh, Diamond Hands? No, no. Uh, that was so a lot of people started moving to altcoins, so-called altcoins in 2017, 18-ish, where there's a huge... Uh, boom for ICOs, right? So initial coin offerings, offerings, right? Uh, A lot of people still remember that probably. But before 2016, there was basically nothing, right? People like some Bitcoiners like me in Japan, like attending meetups and talking, you know, blogging, writing articles about it, doing some experimentations like, you know, uh, tokens, collectibles, etc. But it it was very quiet. Mm-hmm. But after 2016, especially after the government uh, officially enacted uh, cryptocurrency law, so that's when people thought, oh, so if now it's regulated and then and the mainstream companies are also coming to the industry, so this is safe now. This mm-hmm. is good. It's good to invest because the government approves it or something like that. Okay. And then suddenly a lot of people just rushed into the space. That was in 2017. Yeah. And that was when a lot of also nonsensical things, <laughs> narratives and like, oh, yeah, we just need to invest in this ICO token or whatever. A lot of noise. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I got really sick of it, to be quite honest. Yeah. So, Everything you could think of with a token. Oh, yeah. Any, any existing business right. plus a token. Right. And Japan is actually the forefront of the crypto industry in 2017. Mm-hmm. Japan had the majority of BTC, Bitcoin futures trading volume, BitFly had like 70%, maybe really? 80% of the global share, which this is crazy. Was before Binance, I guess. Uh, before Binance. Yeah, Binance was born in 2017. I mean, CZ was even in Japan, right? He yeah. has some ties to Japan and yeah, true. I, I've met him before he founded uh, Binance right. as well. And Japan is definitely like in the middle of it, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, CoinCheck, one of one of the largest exchanges in Japan, got hacked in 2018, and everything kind of changed. But uh, there was a lot of noise in Japan. Some people enjoyed it. Some people loved it because bubble is good for some people to make money, right? It's a lot of weird narratives and hype, and I, I personally don't really like it. But because I didn't like it. 
it really stopped me from uh, going into Ethereum and some other chains because I thought, okay, this was not really what I wanted to see. Or this, this is exactly I hated to see that Bitcoin was supposed to fix. Right? Right. So that, that was one of the main reasons. It's not a business decision because if my goal is to make as much money as possible, I would be doing probably different things, right? Yeah. Probably issuing my tokens or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the time, there's a lot of uh, ICO projects who reached out to me and I want to promote my ICO projects in Japan. Can you help me? And I, I've turned down every single offer like mm. that because I, I really didn't think, I just wanted to stick with my own like initial excitement of initial passion for Bitcoin. And that was, you know, doing ICOs and stuff. I already knew, I, I could predict how most of them will end up, which mm. It's, you know, tokens going to zero, people leave and abandon projects, right? That's exactly what happened. So, yeah, yeah, I just seeing seeing that type of phenomena really just kind of discouraged me from just going to other things. Okay, but it didn't discourage you from Bitcoin itself. I mean, like uh, for a lot of people, probably most people who came in at that time, they couldn't really see any difference between Bitcoin and the rest. But I guess you right. you did see... A distinction between Bitcoin and right. and that hype. Uh, right, but there's ups and downs, right? Uh, me being in the space in the community for close to ten years now, and some people already left, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, not not just in Japan, like elsewhere as well. There's there's definitely some fatigue as well. Sure. So in 2017, I was a little bit tired, but at the same time, Bitcoin price also going up as well. And as you know, the block size ball and everything that was kind of like you know. Uh, not just exciting, but something. I was like, I couldn't predict. I couldn't. I I was super. I was not certain myself what would happen in a month mm, right. from now, Big something like that. Disagreement within that, the that, community. That was huge, right? Yeah. But uh, that was 2017, and after that, Segwit2x failed, and for Bitcoin, it was more about. For Bitcoin, they they rejected. Uh, consensus change or hard fork, basically. Mm-hmm. And I personally knew that, okay, that's probably the right direction for Bitcoin. And we just need to build different layers on top of the main chain, mm-hmm. right? Layer one. So that's when I started uh, working on like on the Lightning Network, basically. Because okay. I know this is the direction Bitcoin needs to go. But for most other people, like Bitcoin is kind of stagnant or something, right? They right. cannot make changes, which is... Which is, uh, from, to me, it's a feature, right? Not a bug. But uh, a lot of people include a lot of people in the crypto industry in Japan. They they thought, okay, Bitcoin is just kind of an old technology, and they can't upgrade or something, right? So yeah, but I, I kind of stuck with Bitcoin because uh, I, I I had a belief that okay, this is the right direction for Bitcoin, and although most people still don't understand it that that's fine i would mm-hmm. just stick with what i think is the right right way so that's uh yeah that's how i'm still working on uh bitcoin and how i got started on lightning in, yeah. in 2018-ish 2018-19 yeah that makes sense uh because i think i mean like you said you you were drawn to bitcoin because of its potential as a money or right. the, the economic implications whereas uh, i think well most people came because of the price, um, but then if not for the price, they came for the tech. And I think in terms of technology, it's 
it's typical to expect it to constantly evolve, constantly be upgraded. But then when you think of money, I mean, that's not what you want. You want something that's stable, that doesn't right. change quickly. Right. Um, so yeah, that makes sense from your perspective, how like you saw the logic in Bitcoin right. not changing much and developing on layers Different above layers, it rather right. than rather than changing the core consensus. But I think yeah, right. a lot of people didn't understand that. Also, they probably wanted to be involved in a project that they could control or that they could change. Exactly. And we still have the same issue, right? Mm. For me, the innovation was decentralization mm. and not prone to government censorship or corporation takeover, for example. Yeah. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is. But all the other blockchains, they, they don't really care about that kind of stuff. Mm. They're competing in features, right? How fast it is, how cheap it is. And to me, pursuing that route uh, might benefit you economically, financially, right? Because you're the founder, you're the middle of it. You control the protocol, yeah. the project. But to me, that that's not the innovation. As I said, uh, what, what got me fascinated was the absence of central control or, you know, lack of a single point of failure, right? Yeah. So the way things are going for uh, non-Bitcoin stuff, uh, they're kind of learning the lesson right now because of the SEC regulation and stuff like mm. that. Uh, I, I think a little bit more people understand what we were saying, what Bitcoiners like me were saying, you know, in 2017, 18, I, I've been saying basically the same thing since, you know, forever, mm. like a broken record or something. <laughs> people don't get it until their projects got regulated or just shut down by the government or something like right. that. Classified as security. Exactly. Or maybe the founder sells their tokens and, you know, just price crashes or something, they get yeah. betrayed, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, for, for Bitcoin, I think that otherwise it's very difficult to differentiate from everything else. Yeah. If Coinbase or Bitcoin can take over and change, make changes to Bitcoin, the Bitcoin protocol as they wish, I think the Bitcoin fails, right? Mm. There's no difference between Bitcoin and everything else, I would say. Right. If one company, if one entity can can right. make changes, then it's pointless. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, earlier today that so many people, they thought the innovation of Bitcoin was blockchain. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Really, the innovation was decentralization. Right. Well, at least in my opinion, right? Some yeah. people might disagree and that's, that's fine. But um, I think my way of thinking has been pretty consistent mm. and what's been happening this past couple of years I, I think some of them some of what we were saying was were vindicated or it turned out correct right mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean even like for the most people you know regular people in japan uh they don't think about inflation until the price of goods are going up this one or two years. It's yeah. pretty crazy, right? I can feel it myself. And yeah, 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 yeah. Japan, I mean, for so long, it's hardly had any inflation and prices right. more or less stayed the same. But then now, I mean, it's, it's only 3%, which, which sounds like su such a small number compared to like nine right. in the US or double digits in the UK. Right. But even 3%, like we are seeing price increases. Right. And then that 3%, it really depends on how you measure, true, measure it, right? True. And then I mean, from my personal experience, things at 7-Eleven and convenience stores, I feel like the price went up by like 
twenty percent, thirty percent ish. I would say some. Definitely some more items, than three yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. And like electricity, definitely electricity, more than three yeah. percent. Uh, yeah, I was shocked when I heard right. my uh, electric bill for right. this past month. So before, uh, when we preached Bitcoin, sort of like you know, oh yeah, government control of money is not good. Uh, we'll, we'll have inflation, depreciation of yen or something. Mm. Uh, until inflation happens, people don't care at all, right? People don't listen to it. So I, I feel like now is kind of the time that uh, more and more people are worried about inflation. And uh, I, you know, I was meeting with some other Bitcoiners yesterday, and we we're talking about this. And yeah. one of them said, like, you know, he he's running a restaurant business basically, and he, he needed to raise the price and people are very sensitive to price change because not because, uh, you know, they just like to buy cheap stuff. They just don't have money now. <laughs> so they, you know, even if he raises price by hundred yen, which is like $1, people just decide to go to find a cheaper alternative basically. Mm. So I feel regular people's life is getting more and more difficult in japan and i can feel the pain as well myself i said why is why is this so expensive yeah it used to be you know 100 yen now it's like 180 yen or something so i i think now the narrative for the need of sound money and uh limited supply etc uh resonates with more people i believe so I think it's a good, a good thing for us, mm. not a very good thing for regular people because they don't understand what's happening. It's just suddenly their life is more d- difficult and wage is not going up in Japan as well. So yeah. Yeah. Things are, the prices are going up, right? But prices are good. And like, yeah, wage is not going up. So that means we are just 20% poor and then tax is also going up as well. So <laughs> yeah, true. I, I don't, I sometimes don't know like how most people make ends meet this way so uh and then you know so that's for messaging for regular people and you know for crypto people in the crypto industry what we were saying about regulation decentralization some of them turned out true already so i think uh i think it's, it's good and we you know I'll, i think there's an opportunity for uh, bitcoin people like me to uh, try to communicate more mm. of those messages with uh, broader people. But maybe I'm wrong because there's, uh, I mean, even at CoinPost, people are promoting more Web3 and not so much about Bitcoin in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, the government or corporations are more interested in Web3, which kind of makes sense because they don't want to say like, oh, yen is depreciating and maybe you should switch to Bitcoin. <laughs> They yeah. would never say that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Of course. So, but it's, it's easier to promote Web3 for them. Right. Okay. So you see this as potentially a, a, a very crucial moment in which, like, for people who aren't into Bitcoin or crypto or anything, um, they're starting to feel inflation for the first time. So right. that might be an opportunity for them to see the benefits of a, uh, a money that can't be um, inflated. inflated. Right. Uh, and then for crypto people, you're seeing, uh, like with recent uh, government rulings, like classifying tokens as securities, right. you're seeing uh, the appeal of, or the argument for decentralization really coming to the fore and potentially yeah. drawing in those two groups of people. Yeah, I, I would say so. At least we have opportunities yeah. right? compared to two or three years ago, maybe, mm. right? 
but it really it's really up to me or maybe you as well and try to communicate that and try to push more messages or build uh, meaningful applications or make improve accessibility for example right so there's a lot to do but I think um, it's a little bit ironical basically things are getting worse for most people but mm -hmm. that's an opportunity for Bitcoiners as well because yeah yeah of that, course. that was the message right yeah I mean I think it's important to emphasize like these things are not getting worse because of Bitcoin but potentially Bitcoin offers a solution or a right. way out way out exactly the system will get worse whether I, Bitcoin exists or I not. I think so. Population is aging and I, I don't really see any way out for the Japanese economy personally. Mm -hmm. uh, unless there's something, some drastical change. Maybe that happens, I don't know. But uh, yeah, for, for most people, Bitcoin is a way to protect their wealth. And I, I think more people... Th this is a narrative for... Uh, for many Americans, right? Bitcoin has some money. A yeah. lot of people are worried about inflation and invest in Bitcoin to protect themselves, right? And it makes sense for a lot of Americans, but that's still not the case for Japanese yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I said in, in 2017, uh, Japan was the forefront of the crypto ecosystem. Uh, we had massive volume and a lot of people are interested in it. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, advertisements about Bitcoin trading or crypto on the trains, etc. Uh, and I went at, at the time I went to the US, there's nothing basically. So I was like, oh, it seems Japan's more advanced right, in terms of right. Bitcoin adoption in 2017. But that was not because of sound money. That was because pe uh, government approves it as a tradable asset, basically. Mm -hmm. And people thought, okay, this is uh, another kind of way to invest in something new, right? Kind of like or whatever so not for some money but now inflation's here invisible people are kind of suffering and they started wondering what what's happening and how can they protect themselves mm -hmm. so i i think this is where things have changed right yeah. yeah that's that's actually something i wanted to ask about because like you mentioned in the u.s there's um like more of a view of sound money or at least uh like a a priority on non-governmental money, which mm -hmm. is maybe connected to America's history and the mm -hmm. big, big group of uh, more libertarian or, or right. at least liberty-minded people, right. um, which uh, Japan doesn't really have. Certainly True. doesn't have the same history. Um, and then you look at other countries like uh, El Salvador adopting mm -hmm. Bitcoin right. to maybe become less reliant on the dollar. Or countries, uh, other Asian countries even, that are um, using Bitcoin as a way to send money between mm -hmm. countries. Like they depend on remittances from overseas and they, they lose a lot of money to the fees mm -hmm. that something like Western Union would mm -hmm. take for, for transferring money. But Japan doesn't really have any of those specific needs. So I'm wondering, right. like, what do you see as the the aspect of Bitcoin right. that could be most appealing to Japanese people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I was actually, well, I've been thinking about something like this for a while. And I, I was also, you know, thinking about this on my way here on the train. <laughs> like, yeah, what can I talk about today? And then one of the things I came up was that uh, low time preference. Hmm. People like to save here in Japan, you know, right? Yeah. Compared to Americans. When I, when I lived in the US, I was surprised how 
how much people don't save. <laughs> people like to spend, but they rarely save, right? Yeah. I think that was kind of bad, to be quite honest. But here in Japan, or maybe the Asian culture in general, we, we like to save money uh, to prepare for the future. When, you know, when something bad happens, you might get sick. We just need to save money. It's low-time preference. Mm. I think we have a much lower-time preference than maybe the uh, Americans, yeah. general Americans. People do you seem, agree? Yeah. People seem more financially responsible. Here, responsible. They don't want to over-invest in yeah, speculative assets. Yeah. Although yeah. a lot of people are into gambling as well at the same time. Mm. There is that. Although it's officially illegal, isn't it? But, yeah, we have like pachinko. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, base, basically gambling. But but people in general are more conservative about their money and mm. they like to save money, right? Yeah. Uh, this has been the case for a while. But the issue is they're saving their wealth in the wrong asset, which is yen mm. right now. Japan's famous for people not investing in stocks, but basically saving in cash, right? Yeah. In their bank account. The interest rate is very low, mm. but they still save in cash. But now JPY price is uh, depreciating against dollar. Yeah. So this is something maybe we can just try to kind of take advantage on. People like to save. They just don't know they're saving in the wrong asset mm. and just losing their purchasing power. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, like we mentioned, for a long time, Japan had really low inflation. So you could, right. you could just hold cash exactly. and you wouldn't really lose exactly. purchasing power. We even had deflation, right? It made yeah. sense. You yeah. should probably save in cash, yeah, right? Sure. But now things have changed, right? Yeah. It's uh, yen's losing value very quickly against dollar, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Even that, for a long time, the yen was gaining against right. the, the dollar, but now that trend is reversed. And even though Japanese are more conservative than most other people, then, you know, we're not stupid, right? They understand eventually, like, hey, something's wrong with my, I cannot travel to the US anymore because mm. things are too expensive, right? Uh, so, yeah, this is one of the aspects maybe we can kind of tackle. And that could be a very interesting uh, message. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned the government and how they seem to be embracing Web3 more than Bitcoin. Um, well, I guess one question is, why do you think that is? But also, um, if we're like the real appeal or potential appeal of Bitcoin for Japanese people would be as money, as like a form of money in which you can save. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think the government will react to that type of message? <laughs> well, they probably wouldn't approve of it or they, mm. they pr probably wouldn't promote it right Th that there's a misaligned incentive there yeah and then that also relates to why web3 is more popular we, we talked about it briefly mm. because it's easier for the government to say like oh this web3 is a new web technology uh which fosters innovations or something whether it's true or not mm. uh it's just sounds more familiar sounds less risky yeah less threatening I, I would say but i don't know you probably understand this uh better than me because i don't really follow what's happening in the web3 ecosystem in japan um yeah i, I mean yeah we did organize a, a yeah, massive yeah web3 <laughs> conference right yeah uh, and there were a lot of game companies um, a lot of ip 
Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of Japan, game game companies now. Japan heard. has been strong in right. in games and uh, manga, right? Uh, anime, uh, and I think um, yeah, if I were to speculate on on their motivation, maybe they see because Japan has a lot of creators and historically right. true. Um, yeah, IPs like manga, anime, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's. I think it's been hard to monetize that right. type of thing. So. Um, they maybe see it as an opportunity to monetize that, but I think you're right in that. Um, for one thing, many of these things claim to be decentralized, but are are not based on decentralized foundations, so they're not as resilient as they claim to be. Right. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, if we're talking about like money versus um, what do you want to call it, entertainment or entertainment, something, right. I think I think NFTs and yeah. I think money is is much more important, a exactly. much bigger problem. Exactly, uh, I hundred percent agree with you. I'm not saying like uh, you know, using integrating NFTs in gaming is bad or anything like that. You you can do that. I was actually doing that on Bitcoin. I was one of the first people to kind of explore that use case. I see some value in it, mm-hmm. right? Because game assets are uh, easier to trade and easier to convert to something more liquid. For example, so you know, and it's easier to prove how much supply it has. Although some of the companies are probably abusing it, but anyways, mm-hmm. uh, so it makes some sense at least. Right? You can use blockchain or NFTs, and you, it doesn't have to be decentralized for most use cases, right? True, true, because it's controlled by the game company anyways. It doesn't have to have the same decentralized property as Bitcoin. But as you said. That's a cool use case. That's cool, but that's not live or die thing. And money mm-hmm. just you know is more fundamental. Yeah. And without it, without sound money or a healthy financial system or currency, your life is doomed basically. And this is what's happening in Argent, Argentina, Turkey, or whatever with weak local currency, right? Right. And I'm afraid uh, that's kind of the direction Japan is heading into now. And a lot of people don't want to question that because it's scary. Yeah. 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 But you can say like, oh, yeah, you can integrate NFTs in gaming and, you know, uh, it's easier to make money off of playing games. It sounds a little bit more positive <laughs> yeah, than saying like, hey, you know, your, your asset is melting, basically. You, you have to do something about it. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good point. It's easier... Uh, There's a psychological resistance to it, definitely, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned um, the Lightning Network, and yeah. I know um, that's a big part of what you're involved with. Right. Uh, and uh, you said you uh, you started getting into it uh, 2018, around that time. And, uh, yeah. Uh, which is very early. I don't remember when I first heard about the Lightning Network, but yeah, I think 2018... Not many people were, were talking about it. Right. Um, so how did you uh, get into the Lightning Network? Right. And why did you choose to really make that your focus? Sure. So I said I got into Lightning in 2018, but I, I was not really doing much. Uh, I was just paying attention to it at mm. least and trying to read the white paper, try to understand, catch up with the development, etc. But I was not doing much. But in 2019, I think it was 2020, yeah, in 2019, I we built a prototype for a Lightning Wallet. That was actually one of the uh, first projects and or, or a wallet that integrates 
basically LSB. So again, I was doing something that didn't have a proper name for. So we, I, I, when I studied about Lightning Protocol, I immediately thought, okay, this inbound capacity problem is a huge, huge issue, huge UX issue, because people are more used to on-chain transactions, in, including myself. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, you just need to give you an address and just send some money to here, right? You can right. just push your payment here and like, okay, that's, that's great. It's easy. You can have a QR code, but Lightning UX is completely different. Mm. You have to ask the recipient to send invoice to you. Otherwise you cannot pay, right? You cannot, you cannot freely push your payment to someone else, right? Okay. They have and to, then, they have to ask for it from you. Exactly. You can't just send it to any exactly. address you like. And also, uh, you have to have inbound capacity, which is probably very difficult to understand for most beginners. It was very weird for me as well. So I was like, okay, there, there has to be a way to kind of mitigate this issue. So we, we built basically a prototype uh, of LSP integrated wallet. Basically, you just download a wallet, we open a channel to you in the background. So you don't have to worry about channel management. And you play and then we integrate that with a game called Sartobi, which, uh, which uh, one of my good friends, he's also a co-founder of Zebedee, Lightning Game Company. Right. Uh, yeah, Christian Moss uh, has built. So we, we integrated that into Sartobi. Basically, you play this simple game and we open and then you connect the wallet to this game and we open a Lightning channel in the background. And then as you play the game, we push some sats to you. So that was, that was one of the first applications we built as an experiment. But it was way too early, mm. obviously. We didn't even have a name for this concept and not many people got it, I guess. Uh, but now that's one of the very common ways to uh, build a Lightning wallet. And so that, that was kind of one of the things, I, I, how I got into Lightning. I, I tried to see a massive issue with this inbound capacity thing and I uh, wanted to build something that's usable for regular people. They just need to open install a wallet and mm. connect that with the game and play the game and stack sats. So that, that was, that was the initial experiment. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should back up a bit. Uh, inbound uh, capacity. <laughs> it's hard to explain what inbound uh, capacity is. <laughs> uh, or even, even more basic than that. Right. Um, uh, what is a channel? That, yeah. <laughs> or the, I mean, so the lightning network, um, I think, Probably most people know that it's uh, a way of scaling Bitcoin because right. Bitcoin can only sure. um, Bitcoin transactions are kind of slow. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not many transactions per second. Right. So, but then um, they built it that way so that it would remain decentralized, right. and then add the scaling with a layer on top of that, which is mm -hmm. um, in this case the Lightning Network. But I think maybe what people don't realize is that the the uh, the way the light the lightning network is built is is very different than than Bitcoin itself. It's right. it's not a blockchain. It's based on these right. channels. Exactly. And you need to have a certain amount of Bitcoin in the channels to be right. able to, um, to send that much um, that amount between right. users. And like you mentioned, you can't just send it to any address. They have to right. uh, ask for it from you. So you you saw some of those technical challenges, and you right. you. Uh, um, started with a wallet project to address to address some of that. right yeah uh, I'm not gonna go 
deep into explaining those technical concepts, but、uh, it's very different from on-chain transactions. Yeah. I mean, before people are not used to on-chain transactions as well. It was new, but now you know people are used to on-chain transactions, and people expect okay.、Uh, You know, in in the Ethereum or smart contract world, oh, there's gas fee, or you know, you just need to show a QR code address, etc.、Mm. Right? People are more used to it. But layer two tech, it's very, especially Lightning, is uh, uh, the payment flows very different. Right.、The、technical challenge is very different. There's this new concept such as inbound capacity, outbound capacity, etc. So, yeah, I just wanted to abstract away some of them. But again, it's a little bit too early,、mm-hmm. and you know, as I have some successes and some failures, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more concerned about the timing of entry as well. So I, right, right now, I try not to rush. <laughs> I, I try not to build new concepts too early because people don't understand. Even if I turned out to be right later,、mm-hmm. maybe two or three years later, but that's that's not good for me from a business perspective.、Sure. Although very interesting, but、yeah. I. I, I Trust in my intuition that when I first interacted with Lightning, open a payment channel, and moved、uh, Bitcoin off chain and created inbound capacity, etc., it was very new. But I was like, "Oh, this is、uh, very interesting." I, I saw some something in it, and I felt something similar when I issued tokens、uh, on the on Counterparty on the Bitcoin blockchain. I also felt, "Okay, there's there's something here. It's interesting." You know, I can do something about it. So I felt something very similar when I interacted with Lightning, and I we will probably get into what Diamond Hands is or routing is a little bit. But I also felt、uh, similar to similar when I started、uh, spinning up a Lightning node and started routing and making some money or route some transactions. I was like, wow, this is this is very interesting, very、right. interesting concept and new. Uh, economics, right? So yeah, I, I follow my intuition a lot of the times because a lot of times it turns out to be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a、uh, it's interesting because on the one hand, yes, it is very complicated, and I mean, Bitcoin itself is complicated, and then you add something like Lightning Network, and it's a completely different infrastructure, and it's、um, to someone like me who doesn't have a technical background at all, like if I go to some of these meetups and listen to the presentations, it seems almost Possible to understand, but then you think about the current system, like you mentioned before, with credit cards and all the middlemen. Yeah. If you actually break down the current system, it's it's just as complicated, probably more, more complicated. Yeah.、Um, it's just that we're used to it, and、right. we have these tools that, as you say, they abstract away、right. everything in the back, and we just have a nice,、right. easy interface to、right. use, which is probably coming to Bitcoin and Lightning Network as well. We, We just haven't quite got to that stage yet. Yeah, exactly. And the difference between Lightning and、uh, traditional payment system is that credit card. There's a lot of middlemen. There's a lot of trust involved. And for Bitcoin and Lightning, you know, we we really care about decentralization, censorship resistance. So it's very difficult to build trustless system.、Mm. For example, Lightning. You know, it's getting much better. Uh, it's better, getting better and better, and its、uh, UX is improved significantly compared to a few years ago. I would yeah. say, yeah, still,、absolutely. still,、uh, a lot of people still use custodial Lightning wallets like Wallet of Satoshi, and the UX is way more smooth and stable.、Mm. And then non-custodial Lightning wallets payments still often fails actually when when you use、uh, non-custodial、mm. Lightning. 
unless you understand how it works, right? If you're a complete beginner and start using Lightning, when payment fails, they don't get it. Why does my $200 worth of payment fails? Maybe there's uh, no capacity uh, on the channel. Right. Or there's no inbound capacity. People don't get it. It's difficult, right? So it's gotten better, but in general, building non-custodial trustless system is very difficult. Yeah. And then um, I might sound a little bit critical of Web3, but a lot of other Web3 stuff were... I'm not an expert on other layer two technologies, but it seems to me that they're taking shortcuts mm. by adding some trust assumptions and, you know, uh, having an admin key or whatever. Yeah, of course, it's easier if you, uh, if there's more trust involved, right? But Lightning is difficult exactly because uh, we try to retain the decentralized nature as much right. as possible. Yeah. Right. Just it's like, very difficult. Yeah. Just like Bitcoin, the development is very slow just because the the highest priority is that uh, self custody right. self sovereignty right safety stability right mm. no no single points of failure right right so it might feel very slow sometimes but i i don't think uh you you can avoid that you know it's just the way it is and but that's one of the things my perspective changed when i was younger when i started working on bitcoin i was like yeah Fast, fast, fast. Right? Mm. <laughs> but that's not really the mentality you should have for Bitcoin, right? I mean, Bitcoin doesn't care, sort of. Even if I, I won't I won't have a very quick success or something, uh, this type of things just takes time and I have come to kind of embrace it. And, you know, I, I'm okay to wait for several more years if, if that's how much time you need to yeah. build something sound. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, at the same time, I think we have seen pretty impressive development. I mean, like with Lightning wallets, even right. just in the few years I've been paying attention, the mm -hmm. the UI has gotten a lot better. A lot it's, better, it's yeah. Easy to use. I agree. Um, and uh, I think, uh, yeah, Diamond Hands has mm -hmm. grown a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so when exactly did you start Diamond Hands, and what was the what was the main uh, problem you were trying to solve? That was probably like twenty. Uh, two years ago, so okay. 2021. Oh, relatively yeah. recently. So, relatively recently, yes. Uh, I started working on Lightning earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And I built a prototype, a wallet, LSP prototype, uh, but it didn't really have a commercial success or anything like mm -hmm. that. Uh, it was, although it was cool. And then I was trying to bootstrap some kind of community or at least some kind of momentum. But actually, after 2020, after COVID, I, I got kind of burned out, right? Yeah. I didn't really like the way things were going for crypto industry in general, right? Uh, in 2020 and 2021, there was a lot of talk about DeFi, yield, or NFTs, etc. And a lot of new people don't seem to care about Bitcoin at all, right? Mm. Bitcoin is useless and unnecessary until you really need it, in my mm. opinion. And in 2020 and 2021, there was not much talk about inflation and stuff like that. So people thought Bitcoin is just useless old tech and there's new shiny blockchains and NFTs, etc. Right. And most of most new people in the industry also didn't really understand, didn't pay attention to Bitcoin. And I was also tired of kind of doing a lot of stuff single-handedly and, you know, doing education and building stuff. It was a lot of work and I was... I had been doing this for a while, right? Yeah. So I got kind of burned out in 2020, sure. 2021. 
so I was not doing too much, I would say, doing some consulting, helping some other people. But in 2021, so a couple of years ago, I was, you know, I started playing with routing, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to explain what routing is <laughs> for, for the audience who doesn't understand, but basically it's a way to help other people, help other people make transactions on the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you can make money basically. And then you have to commit some of your own Bitcoins and you have to allocate your Bitcoins in a smart way, basically. So that's how I would describe it. And you need to spin up your own node to do that, right? And we started doing that. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. It, it's hard to explain why or how, right? But again, like intuition, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And so I started doing that with my co-founder, uh, Yuya. He's, he's the co-founder of Diamond Hands. And mm -hmm. he, he actually takes care of the technical integration. So I'm actually not a very technical guy. I'm not really a tech guy. Oh, say. really? Yeah. <laughs> Although <laughs> I, I'm doing a lot of you know product stuff, uh, etc. Yeah, certainly much more than me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, at least you have to understand the technology uh, to some degree as mm -hmm. well. But um, yeah, I started doing that and I, I, we, we got excited. Oh, this is cool. Although we're making maybe one sub per hour or something, right? <laughs> Not much, but something new. Yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah. It's, it's cool because it's, I mean, you are making money off of uh, offering a service and it's, it's different than so many of these other platforms we saw where they advertised that you could make a yield off of your Bitcoin, but right. really... You were giving your Bitcoin to them and they were lending it out to others who were making money off of it for a while, but then they lost the Bitcoin. And in right. so many cases, everyone just lost all their money. Right. Whereas in this case, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. you still have control of your Bitcoin, but you're using it to offer a service to help others uh, make transactions, make payments. And so you're able to earn uh, um, a... Uh, a type of yield on top correct. of it. Yeah, that, that, that is correct. Although a uh, routing way of yield is uh, different from DeFi yields, right? Absolutely. Th their structure is very different. But it's basically a way to uh, generate a non-custodial non yield using your Bitcoin. So that, that is very cool. Mm. It's, it's uh, routing, lightning routing is one of the non-custodial yields opportunities on, in the Bitcoin world right now. There are others, but it's one of uh, more prominent examples. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's going to be more use cases, non-custodial use using Bitcoin in the future as well. But I got interested in it and I wanted to grow my node, basically. I want more other node operators connect to our node so that our node got bigger and we, we can route more transactions to make more money, potentially. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, you know, I said, okay, maybe we can try to offer some bounty you just spin up a lightning node using umbrella open a channel to our node that will help us as well right and then we'll, we'll send you some sats right so let's just, let's just try right yeah <laughs> so we started we decided to give it a try and uh give it a code name so like diamond hands and i created a logo but, you know i asked external designer outside designer to kind of have a cool logo because mm -hmm. that I thought, okay, if we have a cool logo, people kind of take us more seriously, right? Oh, we're more committed to it. I think one of the huge 
huge uh, reasons for success of Diamond Hands uh, was I created a logo. <laughs> I don't really say, I really bring it up, but I really do think because, you know, I created a logo, people thought, oh, they were serious about this. It's not a one-time short-term experiment, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Also, I, the name is cool. Diamond yeah, Hands. Diamond Hands, yeah. Forgot why we call it Diamond Hands. We, <laughs> we just look through different node names and like, oh, there's no node called Diamond Hands. Okay, we just, it's kind of like a domain, right? Yeah. Let's just take that. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, also, presumably, you're not selling your Bitcoin, so you're yeah. holding I, on to it. With but Diamond before Hands. Diamond Hands, the other idea was, yeah, maybe we can call it Ultrasound Money. Mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, that's in Ethereum, but right. we kind of decided against it. But anyways... <laughs> Yeah, we call it Diamond Hands and create a logo. And uh, we expected uh, maybe 10 people would, uh, you know, spin up their own nodes and open a channel to us. Because at the time, you know, having your own Lightning node was something very new. Very few people do that, mm. did that at the time. But we ended up having like 100 people signed up very quickly. Wow. Right? So yeah, to our surprise, uh, people actually w were waiting for something like this. And that's when... Uh, we had a very initial bootstrap base and, you know, it was more successful than we expected. Yeah. So 10 times. As 10 times. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, there's something here. People actually were looking for opportunities like this or, you know, creating a Lightning community. There were different attempts even before that creating a, creating and managing a Lightning community. It kind of failed. It just didn't, yeah, it didn't really uh, survive, but so yeah, it was not expected, but you know, by accident, we created a movement basically and community and we just started from there basically. And that, those hundred uh, people or hundred nodes who yeah. joined, were they mainly based in Japan? Uh, yes, I would say so. Although me, I was not in Japan, <laughs> right. but uh, for most, most people, yeah, they're based in Japan. Yeah, that's another thing I noticed when I started to go to some of these Bitcoin meetups is that even though it seems like the community in Japan is small, it also seems very technical. Technical and very, uh, some early adopter types mm. who are not into just making money, right? Mm. They're interested in playing with new technology. And yeah, there's genuine interest like that in Japan. So yeah. I guess it's worth mentioning that, yeah, that like earning sats from routing is not that profitable, profitable yeah it? yeah and we've always said like you know you, you probably will not make a lot of money but this is this is a very interesting project and a lot of people wanted to use that opportunity to understand the protocol bitcoin and lightning mm -hmm. more of playing with hardware like raspberry pi so yeah there's a lot of non-small number of people like that in japan which is a very important aspect of potential of the Japanese market, I would say. Even before, like collectibles, I mentioned. Uh, back in 2016, I, I think Japan was probably, because we, we built a pretty easy to use mobile wallet for tokens, right? We, we had a lot of Japanese users and they would uh, issue their own tokens for no reason mm. to send to each other and just, you know, uh, saying hi, basically, socializing, right? Yeah. That was very... Uh, ahead of its time in Japan. We had a lot of users like that in Japan. So mm -hmm. we, we've always had this type of early adopters and playing with new tech. And that's how Diamond Hands accidentally got started, basically. Ah, I see. Yeah. And this uh, this is not the case for other countries like in the Southeast Asia from 
what I understand. Hmm. They are more practical, pragmatic, right? They're more into making money or investing in it or interest interested in Bitcoin as sound money to save their own asset, basically, mm -hmm. right? Okay, less likely. So their, their interest is not really in the technical side of things or adopting less, new technology. Right? Less likely to just like oh, play with something. No, probably not, it. probably not. Yeah, I actually went to Thailand recently to attend a conference. Mm -hmm. And there was also, some people try are trying to make a routing community there as well, but it's they're having a hard time because there are not many people like that in Thailand mm -hmm. because of some economic reasons, maybe cultural thing as well. But culturally in Japan, we, we've, we've got that. So yeah, we can use that to our advantage actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and now, I mean, you're not just a, a routing community. You right. have a newsletter, you right. offer a lot of uh, education, information, right. probably the, the best Japanese source of, Bitcoin news? Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, we're doing a little bit of media things as well. Yeah, sure. So yeah, uh, it started off as a purely uh, user, pure user community and routing. We were focused on routing and uh, setting up a node, mm -hmm. right? And then we, we've done that for like one year. But uh, the thing was, I, a lot of people kind of started requesting me to do more because we have this momentum and we have kind of strong uh, foundation, right? Wanted to do something more. And I've kind of, I said I got burned out, but last year I finally kind of rejuvenated. <laughs> like, you know, I have more energy to work on that. Yeah. And also after COVID, I came back to Japan for the first time in a long time. And I was talk I talked to some people in the industry and I was, I, to be quite honest, I got really shocked in a bad way <laughs> that, uh, the level of understanding of Bitcoin or Lightning or, you know, in general was very low. And my, I was hoping that, so I have this, I have a good thing going on with Diamond Hands as a community, right? So I wanted other people to sort of step up and do media or whatever, right? Mm. Build a, a Lightning project or something. But since nobody cares and since nobody's going to do it, so I was like, okay. Okay, got it. So I have to do it myself. I, you know, I don't want to wait, right? Yeah. So if nobody's doing it, I have to do it myself. So I decided to not just run a routing community, but using that momentum and user base, we can just work on different things, media. We also help uh, some uh, like lightning research, Bitcoin research. We've done uh, custom research on mining and different things, for example. And we're also doing... Uh, Bitcoin and Lightning integration for enterprises and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, we, we are trying to provide more services, and we uh, I set up a company for Diamond Hands as well. So uh, I'm still very careful about the balance between the sense of community and also running a business as well. But mm -hmm. we're slowly migrating to uh, running a business as well because right. in Japan, even if I say like, okay, we have this uh, big and very active user community that most people are more concerned about, Oh, do, do you make money or do you have mm. a company? Right. You yeah, understand yeah. that they, it, same group of people say like, Oh, we're into DAOs as well, but they ask me about, Oh, do you have a company? <laughs> to right. me, it's very inconsistent, but, uh, but it's easier if I set up as a company and when you work with local corporations, they, very, they care about this kind of stuff a lot. Sure. Is that a company or, you know, if it's not a company, 
they cannot work with me, for example. Right. right? You have to have some kind of known structure. Legal entity. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, if I run a successful Bitcoin company in Japan, you know, I can sort of lead by example. There, right. there needs to be somebody who has to have a successful business in Bitcoin here as well. So that that's my goal now. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's uh, amazing. Um, speaking of uh, of a Bitcoin based business, um, yeah, with the Lightning Network, I know that one thing people often talk about is merchant adoption. Oh getting yeah. Stores yeah. and businesses sure. to to mm-hmm. sell in Bitcoin. And we saw, I mean, even before Lightning Network, we did see some businesses doing that on the base chain, but it's hard because you have to wait for the transaction to confirm. Whereas Lightning instant payments, it is, uh, if merchants can adopt it, it, it seems like a great solution for them. But what are you seeing in terms of Japanese uh, merchant, merchant adoption. or business adoption? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, the biggest challenge, I, I've been saying this in on other podcasts and different conferences as well, but unless the tax system changes, tax on crypto changes, I, I would say it's going to be very difficult mm. because, as you know, Japanese people are very serious about paying taxes, right? Sure. And then every crypto payment technically is a taxable event. Yeah. So every time you make a payment, you have to take a note, right? you know, calculate it. Right. Who does that, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, even like routing as well, technically it's, I don't know how it's categorized, but you're making one SAT, for example, but by routing, how would you report it? For tiny, example? tiny fraction. Yeah, of right. It, that's annoying. But, uh, unless there's a exemption for crypto, you know, capital gain tax on smaller, uh, smaller payments, like under 100 USD or something like that. I, I don't think merchant adoption will take off mm. in Japan. Yeah, because there's no strong need uh, for local people. We have decent payment system, like right. such as PayPay or whatever, right? Yeah, now, I mean, you have a whole menu of payment options. Exactly, there's way too many, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Adding Lightning on the list is kind of cool, but uh, and then some companies in Japan, some exchanges in Japan have tried in the past, but they never really made sense. Right. Yeah. Okay, so perhaps not the quickest route to adoption in Japan. Hopefully we'll, we'll have more merchant adoption in Japan in the future, but definitely very challenging. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, inbound tourism, for example, might make make more sense. For example, if a lot of uh, stores in Kyoto, for example, accept Lightning, then Americans, for example, visit Japan and maybe they can make Lightning payments from their cash app or something, mm-hmm. that might make sense. And I've been kind of advocating that, but it's very difficult to convince people unless there is a proven example or something, right? So, right. Yeah. Right. Hopefully but in the future. You know. I guess unless they were able to, unless the store is able to convert the Bitcoin to dollars immediately, they would have to right. see the value in, in holding some of that. Exactly. Bitcoin. Yeah. That's the other thing. And also not just users, but merchants are also very serious about you know, reporting taxes. And once they have exposure to Bitcoin, they're very worried. And how would you report this? How would mm. you calculate taxes this way? So that's another another reason why people are kind of hesitant. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, one thing I, I definitely wanted to ask about, even though we're we're running out of time. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of up to you. Uh, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> we, can, we can go on, but 
Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, because uh, lately you've mentioned yeah. um, setting up some kind of uh, Bitcoin, well, in Japanese, I guess the term is Seichi. Oh, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Like a Bitcoin Seichi. hub or a, a Bitcoin mecca. Mecca, yeah. Yeah, sure. In, in Tokyo. Yeah. Is that uh, still at the stage of just like a crazy idea or... Uh... It started off as a crazy idea, sort of, or my... It just came up with it. I, one day, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. And I also run a kind of popular YouTube, Bitcoin YouTube show. So decided to kind of do uh, this. Hey, we, we, why don't we just create a new mecca or a new spot where Bitcoiners can get together and just yeah. interact, right? Because we had something like that before in Roppongi. Roppongi, oh, where, yeah. Where was that? Well, before, Roppongi had several Bitcoin accepting merchants, right? Uh-huh. In early days. I mean, uh, Two Dogs Tap Room, they still accept Bitcoin payments, I believe. But uh, I wondered why so many meetups happened at that bar. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, from in the past, uh, that was one of the first merchants who adopted Bitcoin payment. Oh, okay. And we had meetups frequently at, at Two Dogs before, yeah. right? So Roppongi by default was kind of the place for Bitcoiners to get together before. Mm-hmm. But after the block size war, so Roger was the founder of that meetup. As, but as, as we know, Roger Beer, he had a nasty kind of fallout with the Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin, you know, BTC community and he just forked off the Bitcoin Cash community, mm-hmm. right? We had some internal fuse as well and the meetup basically died, right? That's when kind of uh, Roppongi died as a Bitcoin Mecca or Seichi uh, in Japan as well. So there is no place for Bitcoiners to kind of get together anymore, right? And I also left Japan around that time. Mm-hmm. So, and then, then COVID as well. So there, there's absence of a physical place where we can just kind of get together and mingle and talk with each other about Bitcoin, right? So, and then this year I was spending a little bit more time in Japan, visiting Japan more frequently. I was talking to other people and a lot of people said like we we, we want to do some offline events or we want to meet in person or something like that so mm-hmm. I, I thought seems people really are craving for this type of you know face-to-face interaction right yeah so that that was why I, you know oh, maybe we can do the same thing for bitcoiner <laughs> meetup not meetup but you know physical space right yeah and that's uh, also a big trend elsewhere as well like bitcoin beach in el salvador there's sure. bitcoin park in the u.s uh bob space in thailand etc mm-hmm. so there was a trend so i was like maybe there's something there in japan as well so i i did you know we we should try to find a good place suitable for bitcoiners right yeah and then actually yesterday just last night i had a I had a very small kind of event gathering and six or seven people showed up and we just basically just talking and walking around and like, yeah, just talking. But, uh, Scoping out locations. It, uh, yeah, sort of. We had no agenda. So we're just yeah. walking and talking basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Where, you know, at what, dinner together. What, uh, what part Where? of Tokyo? Uh, Ko- Koenji. Oh, it's Koenji, a great, yeah. great yeah, it's a, it's a It has a great vibe, I heard. So yeah, we can just go check it out, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, people there seem like pretty independent uh, or like Koenji, yeah, yeah. independent minded. Everyone could be a, a good place. Yeah, exactly. Everyone in Koenji is in a rock band. <laughs> seems seems that way. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, so, and then I, I did that show, and then surprisingly, a lot of people had very positive reaction about it. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I've never had, you know, I've never seen this much of kind of fun, expected this much of fun in Bitcoin for a long time or something. And I was like, well, I mean, to me, routing is very fun. And <laughs> it's always been fun, but for, but this is actually the key to adoption, probably. Bitcoin, the Bitcoin community were kind of losing its edge in terms of like, having fun or creating mm. culture, I feel. And people like me, who's been in the space for a while, are getting a little bit older is one, and it could be burned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I was doing a lot of kind of unique, interesting, fun things sort of before, but now I don't really do it because I've done it once. And like, you know, it's someone else should do that or something right. like that. But that was, uh, it didn't really happen before. But now I feel like, okay, maybe we should try to regain that narrative a little bit. Yeah. You know, having fun. And good <laughs> thing is that there's a layer two technology like Lightning. And it's easier, and even Nostar as well, for example, right? Uh, we, we have Nostar Asia conference coming up very soon. Yeah, beginning but, of November. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a little bit more research on Nostar recently myself, but I, I actually see hmm, maybe I can use this uh, to get more general developers in the Bitcoin ecosystem via Nostar, for example. I also see some potential there as well. So now there's, you know, more tools and more technologies to build on for application developers as well. So, you know, we can probably try to have more fun, right? Right. And people are kind of craving for this type of interaction. And this is something Web3 people are doing a very good job of. That's true. In my opinion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Having fun. Yeah, they're they're having too much fun. They're (laughs) just having fun sometimes or like, you know, selling tokens irresponsibly. It's kind of part of fun sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bitcoin way is not really like that, but our having fun is actually talking about kind of, you know, Bitcoin in deeply with other people and like talk, talking, criticizing some of the concepts or what the government does or, you know, different things or even building projects as well. Yeah. Uh, but we had, a, we had a lot more influence on the crypto culture before. Mm. Nowadays, not really. That's not really the case. Uh, so we we can try to do something like that, and that's uh, there. Maybe there's something is a key to more uh, faster adoption in Japan. There. Yeah. 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 True. And and certainly coming out of the pandemic, I think people do want to meet in person, and and having a, a it's physical valuable, location would yeah. be it's would valuable. be great. Although I'm personally not very outgoing myself i like to talk but Mm. i I don't like to meet a bunch of people it just kind of exhausts me yeah (laughs) i'm more introverted right so i don't do that i can relate to that for sure yeah i'm not shy but at the same time i don't really enjoy talking to people all the time i guess so anyways but again nobody's doing it and i'm the probably the one who can probably make it happen people that's the thing about Japan. Uh, I think good thing about the U.S., for example, is local meetups or uh, bit devs just happen everywhere. Like it's just more decentralized, and people are mm-hmm. more people take action, and pe- they think like leadership is important, etc. Right? It's more decentralized in general. But here, people, a lot of people are more reserved, and they don't want to take the leadership role. Right? right. They just wait for some someone else to take that 
grow and then they'll kind of follow and support you, right? Right, right. Interesting thing, for example, is in the Diamond Hands Telegram group, when I say in the, in the public group, hey, I need someone who can help me on this or who, you know, uh, who has experience in this or something. When I do that, nobody responds to it, right, mm-hmm. for example. Then I'm like, oh, I think this guy is very good at writing or he has experience in content creation or something. And I reached out to this person individually, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can, can you help me on this? And like, oh, I, I, I'd love to. I'm happy to. Uh, <laughs> so they don't want to be like, you know, there, there's this culture of, uh, I don't know how to, what's the word to explain that? Like, you, you know, like in the US, for example, uh, after the class, during the class, you have any questions and like a lot of people ask questions right they're right. not afraid in japan it does anybody have any question like nobody asks <laughs> right okay they don't want to raise their hand raise their, yeah whether to ask a question or in, in right. your case to, to volunteer volunteer but if you interact with them individually they're very supportive and helpful and they're very capable actually right sometimes right. right so yeah that, that's that's really key cultural insight um because i think also, in addition to building communities within each country, I think it would be great if we could step up like cooperation between countries. But then, of course, cultures clash, and sometimes exactly, yeah, um, like people don't understand why things aren't going well. But yeah, I think that kind of like cultural insight is really valuable. Right, and then that that's so. In other words, there's tendency for centralization. People <laughs> need more centralization to create a community as well, mm-hmm. which is kind of bad in some sense right uh and i didn't really want that before Mm -hmm. but last year again okay since nobody's doing it and i I have to do it so now uh there's a little bit more centralization in a way but people are also very supportive yeah so yeah that that's why what what i want to say (laughs) i lost my train of thought a little bit but uh, i know uh andy from citadel tokyo he was just talking the other day about yeah about how great it would be to have a physical location. Yeah, yeah, that's important. So I, I also have, yeah, I agree. That's yeah. kind of what I noticed recently as well. Yeah, yeah, I know he he really wants to try to make something happen. So maybe you guys yeah, could maybe we can collaborate on that. Or, or you know, a media company like CoinPost, I think, could influence that as well, or yeah. can definitely help. And. I'm not here to really criticize CoinPost or anything, but I, I feel they are more responsible responsible to do more for Bitcoin as well, mm-hmm. because this industry doesn't really work without Bitcoin, in my opinion. Although their CoinPost as a company is more focused on uh, Web3 and other stuff, but uh, still in Japan, m- most trading volume for spot trading in Japan, I think... Bitcoin accounts for 70%. And the market share of Bitcoin is actually going up, not down. True, yeah. Right? So Bitcoin still dominates in some aspect and people are taking it too lightly sometimes. Taking it for granted, it's decentralized nature, and right. etc. So I, I think they need to do a little bit more work on education. And that's, that actually could benefit themselves as a business as well. Mm. Because... Well, I actually want to hear your opinion on that. But in the US, there's Bitcoin and there's crypto and there's a little bit of separation there, right? In Japan, we also have separation as well in a way, but it's more like Web3 people, most people in the industry don't really think Bitcoin is important. That's not really separation. It's more like ignoring Bitcoin in a way. Yeah. 
But uh, I, I think eventually Japan will follow the U.S. footstep as well. So I think media media company like CoinPost has some can have some can you know have some influence or uh, push the narrative, help push the narrative a little bit. Yeah, I, I certainly agree, and uh, I would love to see CoinPost cover more uh, right. Bitcoin, um, yeah, news information, but also yeah, promote. Uh, adoption more um yeah in terms of the relationship between bitcoin and web3 it is something i've been thinking about a yeah. lot lately um like whether because on the one hand like i said most of us came to bitcoin through crypto like we were yeah. drawn in NFTs, by that. yeah um yeah for myself not nfts per se but just like investment uh, in general yeah. yeah yeah saw it as like a way to make money and was kind of fascinated by this new um, type of money right um so yeah I, I i often wonder like are are crypto people more receptive to uh bitcoin message or is it better to just totally separate and yeah uh, i've thought about this for a while as well yeah. right and for the better or for the worse, when I got burned out, I kind of stopped creating content or not doing, you know, not very active on Twitter, for example. And after that, I think the, the two before before that, you know, Bitcoiners would criticize some of the crypto projects for maybe their incentive structure is flawed or they're lying about centralization decentralization mm -hmm. etc and it's easy to find faults in some projects right maybe sometimes it's excessive sometimes but um then i stopped doing that basically because it's kind of waste of my energy and time criticizing mm -hmm. other projects or like icos for example right because nobody will listen and that just makes me look bad <laughs> even sure. if i turn out to be right later maybe mm -hmm. right so i stopped doing that then then now that there are two communities and ecosystem with three people, a lot of people like who got into crypto because of NFTs, they don't understand Bitcoin at all. Mm. It's not like they hate it. It's like they don't understand. They're, they're not interested because NFTs and Bitcoin are completely different. True. Right now, they are seems they are separated, and if three people don't catch up with what's happening in Bitcoin or Lightning. And then I don't understand Web3 at all, what they're doing. So there is, for the better or for the worse, there's complete separation now. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking, eh, maybe I should, you know, uh, attend a little bit more event, Web3 events to kind of talk about Bitcoin as well, because, because there's at least some intersection as well. And that definitely helps some, with some, some of the Web3 people uh, take interest in Bitcoin as well, but I don't know if it's going to be successful, uh, but I think uh, it's worth trying and, you know, yeah, I can give it a try. But yeah. right now those two are kind of completely separated. Yeah. Yeah. From, from the inside, it feels completely separated. And yet from the outside, everyone's still like, if you, if you tell it's the someone, same thing. Oh, I'm yeah. into Bitcoin, they'll say like, Oh, how is crypto doing? Like, right. like they don't even think like those words are completely interchangeable right. in their minds. So true. Yeah, I, I do wonder, like, because that, that conversation, like, oh, well, actually, I'm only into Bitcoin. That is such a tiresome conversation. And it I, is. I often wonder, like, is that kind of a waste of time? 
Um, like, is it better to, I mean, I think it is always better to bring people like one step at a time. Um, but I'm just not sure of the best route, like whether that route goes through crypto or, or just like straight to Bitcoin. I, I think the main message for Web3 is you can build uh, gaming applications or maybe art, NFTs, etc. But for Bitcoin, what we can do better, in my opinion, in Japan is that, uh, you know, explanation and more talk about monetary policy or inflation, like we, we touched on this a little bit. I think there's more people who actually are interested in that and want to know more about it. Mm. And in Web3, people would never talk about inflation because it's not about that, right? It's, it's about building ga games or something, for example. Yeah, and most of those tokens are inflationary themselves. Exactly. So I, I think in Japan, we, there's still a lot we can do in terms of communication. Mm. And me media plays a huge role, in my opinion. But uh, I'm thinking of doing a little bit more content on this, you know, inflation. So why Bitcoin, right? Why? So in order to understand the value of Bitcoin, you have to understand the current system is broken or at least have issues, right? Yeah. Well, at this rate, their life will be more difficult. They get poorer or something like that. But mm -hmm. I'm not really doing a good job on expl explaining stuff like this. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, there's there's a new book, uh, Broken Money. I'm right? reading yeah. it right I'm now. I'm reading it right now. <laughs> so I'm thinking of basically not translating the entire book, but uh, creating content similar to that, for example. Yeah, in Japanese. In Japanese, yeah. and that might help as well. So that that's something we can do immediately. I think yeah. there's there's a lack of content around that, and uh, Teruko of Fogar Ventures Japan is doing a very good job translating some of the stuff like Bitcoin standard and yeah, translated some, the Bitcoin standard. Some, you know, notable uh, articles in English. But yeah. I noticed something. You're doing translation as well, right? When you translate something, so when you do basically literal translation, people don't really care, even mm. if the content is good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, uh... If a Japanese guy digests the content and explains in Japanese with his own words, that's when people t pay more attention to it, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, I didn't expect to get into the <laughs> art of translation on this, yeah. but yeah, as having worked as a translator for what, nine years now, I've definitely found like you have to read it, take it in, like take understand it, in. it within right. yourself, almost separate from the words, just exactly. have this understanding. And right. then say that in another language. It's not like right. from the words to the words right. in another language. You right. have to, well, I guess that's what localization is. Real localization, not not just translation, right? Yeah. So you have to explain it in, in your own words. And then each culture, each language has a different way to communicate the yeah. same idea yeah. as well. So that's one thing I noticed. So what we need to do is not just translation, although translation helps. Uh, but we need someone who actually who's able to break it down and explain in a kind of relatable way, like an easy to understand way, yeah. which is not easy. Uh, so again, I, I think I've explained part of what I do and, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot, but <laughs> I can't really do too much myself as well. So I, I want other people to help and step up as well. So I'm trying to find more collaboration with different projects now but uh I, I think you know 
more content on uh, the current issue, for example, will definitely mm -hmm. help. And that's something Web3 people cannot explain. And without explaining that, I think it's very difficult to convince other people, you know, Bitcoin and crypto are, are kind of different things yeah. with different goals and different mindset, I would say. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, maybe that's a good place to leave it. Uh, yeah. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to... No, I think we've talked a lot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. There are other things I can still talk about. Maybe, maybe in the future. Yeah, if yeah, there's absolutely. an opportunity, I can come back and talk. Yeah, yeah, that would that would be amazing. Thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thank you. Okay, what'd you think of that? I found it really interesting that even though Japan seems much more taken with Web3 than Bitcoin, Koji thinks this could be the moment for Bitcoin in Japan, because on one side you have people being squeezed by inflation for the first time in a long time, which might make them question the quality of their money, and on the other side you have increasing crypto regulation, which in many cases is a test of whether a cryptocurrency is decentralized enough to survive. In other words, is there a single central controlling entity that a government can go after and shut the project down, or is it too spread out among too many people to be stopped? I also thought he made a good point about Japanese being better savers than Americans. They've been rewarded for saving, since prices haven't gone up too much over the past few decades, at least not in comparison to the US, which makes me think that even though Japanese tend to not be too anti-government, Maybe price increases and the yen losing so much against other currencies is the thing that makes them eventually demand a better money. Also, maybe they're already more used to a Bitcoin system in which prices would go down over time rather than up. I hope his idea of a physical location for Bitcoiners in Tokyo comes to fruition. I certainly want to help out, and if you want to get involved, definitely get in touch. I realized I forgot to ask Koji where he wants to send people after this, but all the links will be in the show notes. Follow Koji on Twitter, check out diamondhands.community, uh, check out the cool logo he mentioned, uh, join their telegram, and come to a meetup. I only started going to meetups recently, but immediately I wondered why I had waited so long to get involved. Alright, we have a lot more coming, so follow the show if you don't want to miss an episode. And if you'd like to help me out, a rating, a review, or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon. GM Radio.